Good morning, family. Good morning. morning, Those who are visiting us today, welcome to the Gathering Place Church. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor here. Um, It's great to be at um, Frank Blaha's graduation ceremony last week. Graduated from... Technical Institute. Awesome. Did you guys go to P.F. Chang's afterwards? All right. Okay. So, uh, you know, God can do anything, right? It's all, it's all easy for him. It's uh, us, us drawing heaven onto earth is our, our assignment. And uh, so we're in a drought. Anybody aware of that? So, uh, so we've been praying together as pastors in the region, and uh, we we connected with the mayor of Poway recently. We met at Poway Park, and there was a handful of pastors there, well, more than a handful, and the mayor and different churches have been praying uh, for rain. And I told you last time, I'm looking for an email here, uh, I told you last time that the, uh, the weather service actually said that uh, they called it a May miracle because they got more rain uh, in May than they have in years and years and years. And so I should have had this up. It was right there. Where did it go? What happened? Okay, here we go. It's going to happen. It's not going to happen. All right, so I just read it to you this morning, sweetheart, or last night, right? So it was, uh, give me one more second. Let me look one more time here. Here we go. See, it was right here. Listen to this. May 31st, this was uh, reported, smashing the normal figure of 2.5 inches of rain in May, we got 2.39 inches of rain. San Diego had the second wettest May on record, going back to 1852. The July 2014 to July 2015 seasonal total is now 8.99 inches, the wettest in four years and only an inch below normal. Yeah, really. Isn't that amazing? Is that not that amazing? I thought that was amazing. So the point is, let's keep praying. Because our God, not Baal, our God controls the weather. So let's pray, let's pray, let's pray. Father, we pray that you give us rain. We need rain. You're the good God, the benevolent God. And we are asking you, along with all the other churches and faith, uh, faith community leaders and congregations in this county, And in Southern California, we ask you for rain, God. We need your mercy. Forgive us for uh, poor stewardship. But we know that your grace trumps our um, uh, sin. And we ask you, have mercy on us and pour out your rain on Southern California. In Jesus' name, amen. So how many of you like bad news? Like, like you sit around waiting for the phone to ring to hear you did not get that raise. You did not get the promotion. 
I'm leaving you. Some of you have gotten that phone call. It's pretty devastating. Um, you get your child's report card, and it's got D's and an F on it. You get the report that uh, the cancer report coming back, and it's not benign. How many of you love that kind of news? You love bad news. Raise your hand. Come on. Seriously. No. Good. And I'm talking to the right group of people. Today we're going to open up a new series on the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes. And I've been asked numerous times to teach on the Beatitudes. And there's a, the problem with teaching on the Beatitudes is you can't jump. Many do. Better teachers than me jump right into the Beatitudes and, and pluck it out of uh, a sermon that's three chapters long. And if you don't look at the Beatitudes in context, you're not going to understand what Jesus is bringing to us, to the human race. And so I want to look at what Jesus uh, is bringing to us. See, when, people, when, when God calls people, many times they think that he's calling them into something bad. It's bad news. God is calling you. And at, at best, they think that God is calling them to a boring party. And at worst, that God is drafting you into something horrible called the kingdom of God. But let's look at what it really is. And so in teaching on the Beatitudes... As I said, you can't start right there. You've got to, we've got to back up. So I want you to go with me to the book of Matthew. And I ask you to bring your physical Bibles because I want you to see this in context. In an electronic uh, Bible, you can't see the fullness of what Jesus is bringing. Here's the master teacher teaching the most profound sermon he ever taught. And it has rocked the known world for 2,000 years. All throughout the European continent, all throughout the Western world, we have been more influenced by this sermon than any other message ever given by any religious leader, including Jesus himself. So I, we, need to, we need to put it in a much broader context. And I want you to look at Matthew chapter 4 with me in verse 23. It says, Jesus went through Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the... What? Come on, say it out loud. The gospel or the good news. That's what the gospel means. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the, say it out loud, good news. Did you know that the kingdom of God is good news? It's not bad news. It's good news. So let's take a look at what it looks like. And healing... Some diseases and sicknesses based on the ones that Jesus picked out and decided to heal. Is that what it says? Preaching the good news of the kingdom. That's why I'm calling this series the good news of the kingdom. I didn't come up with that title. It's right here. Jesus says the good news of the kingdom. Everybody say the good news of the kingdom. You see, you, you've got to grab a hold of that because you, you cannot go into the Sermon on the Mount 
without understanding that what he's preaching is the good news of the kingdom. Because when you read the Sermon on the Mount, it doesn't look like good news. It looks like a whole lot more stuff to do that's harder than the stuff we were told to do before Jesus ever taught it. Like, don't murder. Well, I say, don't even hate people. Seriously? I was failing before. Not that I was murdering people. <laughs> maybe we can move to lust, the lust part. Or maybe, maybe the divorce part for some. Or maybe the swearing part. Maybe the covetous part. Maybe the worry part. It's all in the Sermon on the Mount. The religious burden that was on Jerusalem at the time that Jesus showed up was so heavy that it was crushing the people. And the religious leaders, the teachers, kept loading on more shame and more things to put on the religious to-do list. So Jesus comes along and says, oh, you haven't seen nothing yet. And he says this phrase that we're going to look at. I only got a few weeks to teach it, so I'm really going to skim the service, but it's still going to be incredibly impactful. Jesus said, unless your goodness, unless you think you've seen, you think you've seen religious oppression and burden, unless your goodness surpasses the goodness and righteousness of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the leaders, the religious leaders of the day, unless your goodness surpasses theirs, you're not even going to get into the kingdom. So without understanding what he's actually teaching, this burden, you jump into the middle of the Sermon on the Mount and you just pluck out one little part that says, don't lust, don't be angry, love your enemies. And you look at him like, oh, God, I've got to do that. Oh, man, I, got, oh, I don't think I can do that. I was thinking about this week, I was watching the news and they were talking about how the church that had the shooter come in. And uh, into a Bible study and kill those people. I'm sure you've heard about that, right? And I'm listening to a couple of commentators, and uh, they said, you know, one of them, one was a Catholic, I think the other was a Christian, and they said to each other, "That is beyond my Christianity. That is beyond my ability." And the other person said, "That's beyond mine too." As though if I was in that situation, I could not do that. I could not do what they were doing. And I was thinking to myself, when you and I sit back and look at a tragedy. You look at hell on earth, and you look at how Christians respond in that time, and you look at their response that is, that is supernatural, that is beyond uh, what is expected. There aren't riots. There's forgiveness. And you look at that, the juxtaposition of what's going on around the planet where people are being murdered and riots and uh, the injustices, and you see the... The, the anger that comes out. And then you see this example of people who forgive. And you sit back and go, I could never do that. Jesus' point to the Sermon on the Mount is in your own goodness and in your own religious uh, zeal, in your willpower, in your human strength, you could not do that. Nor can you live life without having anger at your brother. Nor can you live life without lusting. Nor can you live life without coveting. Nor can you live life without being materialistic. Nor can you live life without worry. Jesus' point is you can't live life in your own strength. 
So when I look at that example, I thought to myself, I was watching, I'm thinking, if I was in that situation, I bet you the grace of God would come upon me. Because the, 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 the level of pain invokes a higher level of grace. So you find yourself acting way beyond your human capability in the midst of suffering because the grace of God has come upon you. That is the message of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I'm going to say something to you right now in this moment um, that is going to make you think. And it's going to make you think beyond the next few moments. And I'm going to ask you to read it based on this this viewpoint of the Sermon on the Mount, which you probably haven't heard before. But I believe it to be true. I believed it uh, before I began reading particular commentaries on it this week. I've been studying deep and hard about it. And I ran into Dallas Willard. If you know who Dallas Willard is, he is like an icon in the kingdom of God. He is a deep, profound thinker. People like Richard Foster, who wrote Spiritual Disciplines, if you know who Richard Foster is, idolize Dallas. It's kind of like Richard Foster. We look at Richard Foster like, oh, my gosh, he is so deep and so profound. Well, Richard bows down before Dallas, and then right after Dallas is Jesus, okay? (laughs) So I say that to say Dallas Willard wrote a book called The Divine Conspiracy, and he teaches the exact same thing I'm about to teach. So if you're going to throw stones, I'm going to get behind Dallas, and you can hit him, and I will hide behind him. And then, of course, there's Jesus. And Dallas is in the middle. Yeah. Oh, oh, he's in heaven. So, oh, that means I'm bare and, uh uh-oh. But I want you to understand, I want you to understand, I want, there are, there are a number of key thoughts that I have in my heart and my mind and my nose that I'm going to drop over the next few weeks. This could be a, a revolutionary teaching for you. The point and the purpose is to lift off of all of us this religious yoke that weighs us down and making us feel like spiritual failures every day of our lives. Jesus is trying to lift this yoke off of us. So when I run into the Beatitudes and I see this list, poor in spirit, mourning, meek, hunger and thirst after righteousness, peacemakers, persecuted. If you don't know, if you don't know the list, you just read Matthew 5 and uh, you can see, you don't put it up there. You read Matthew 5 and you see the list. How many of you are familiar with the Beatitudes? Just raise your hands and make sure I'm, I'm talking to people. That, okay, Matthew chapter 5 is called the Beatitudes where Jesus, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, For they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So here's what we've done. And I want to say it again. I'm not the best teacher in the kingdom of God. There are some guys that just can can do circles around me. But sometimes I run into things in the Bible that just don't make sense to me the way they are taught. And when I look them in a broader context, um, I and many things that are taught are taught. And they, they make us feel worse about ourselves. They, think, they make us feel more like, kind of like this. I'll give you an example. I'm just an unworthy worm. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. 
Well, you get an Old Testament passage where Jeremiah says, I'm just a worm. And so we translate that into the New Testament covenant people of God, the sons and daughters of God. I would hate it if my son or daughter came up to me and said, oh, dad, I'm just a worm in your presence. I would, that, would, that would destroy me. How have I created that in you? Why do you view me like I'm, I, I see you as a worm? You see, the Bible says in the New Testament that once you've been born again, you've become a saint. You've become one set apart to God. You are now a child of God, a son or a daughter of the Father, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, on assignment in the earth with all of God's authority, his name, his spirit, angels around us. We are snatching souls out of hell on our way to heaven. We have purpose. We're full of power, right? So you look at sinner saved by grace versus I was a sinner. I've been saved by grace. Now I'm a child in the kingdom of God. That's a huge paradigm shift, major difference. How about this one? <clears throat> no eye seen, no ear is heard, nor does it enter the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. How many of you ever heard that? It's 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We've heard that taught. We've heard it sung. And it feels good at first because what we're saying is God is so big and heaven's going to be so wonderful that we have no idea what that's going to be like. And that feels good. And that's true. But that's not what that passage is talking about at all. And it robs us of what it is talking about. Do you know what the next word is after it says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor does it enter the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Do you know what the next word is? But. But, but, conjunction, junction, what's your function, right? It's a conjunction. It's a, it, it's a conjunction of contrast. Do you know what it says next? But he has, past tense, revealed them to us. Them what? Them things that the unregenerate, unsaved person's eyes and ears and heart has not experienced or seen or heard as horrible teaching why do we do this we gravitate toward shame we gravitate toward the lower position we gravitate toward spiritual failure people get sick and you're trying to bleed for healing, and you run to Paul's thorn in the flesh. I mean, we just saw here where it says Jesus, I'm going to read this, because I was actually reading it a few minutes ago. So let's go back to it. And preaching the good news, everybody say good news again. Preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing, say it out loud. Every disease and sickness among the people. That's the kingdom of God. That's heaven on earth. Are we experiencing that? No. But we're slugging it out. We're fighting for it. We're pressing into it. We're growing in it. When, when, when the, Jesus' first disciples couldn't heal a man's son, they said, what up? Because they see Jesus doing it. And they said, what, why, why couldn't we do that? 
we did it over here and here and here. These prayers have been answered. But how come this one didn't work? Jesus didn't say, because it wasn't my will. He didn't say that. You know what he said? This isn't always the answer, but in this scenario, it was the answer. He said, because of your unbelief. Let me teach you. Let me teach you how to move that mountain too. New levels, new devils. This kind, Jesus said, doesn't come out but by prayer and fasting. But what do we do? We pray, we don't get healed, it doesn't work, and so we conclude it wasn't God's will. But you, you, you don't see that when Jesus brings the kingdom. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he taught them. What's it say? He healed them. Okay, now watch this. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Well, sure they did. Jesus comes and displays what the kingdom looks like. It is good news. The Father loves you. The Father forgives you. The Father is for you. The Father's drawing you. Let me show you what he looks like. Bam! And just heals and sets free. I mean, just bringing people out of brokenness. And all the crowds start coming to Jesus because he's healing their brokenness. How many of you know that you're broken? Okay. Half of you. So you're not going to raise your hand. Okay. Let me. All right. Well, so you're. All right. So I guess those that didn't raise their hand or let's say you weren't. Let's say you weren't just not participating. You actually don't believe that you're broken. Um, let me ask you this. Have you ever been to Chuck E. Cheese's? How many of you hate Chuck E. Cheese's? Raise your hands. Right. Oh, my gosh. Sensory overload. You ever played whack-a-mole? Anybody? Okay, you know what that is, right? You get that hammer and you whack, you whack the mole. You, he pops up in a hole, you whack him. Whack him. You whack him, right? You whack him. You whack him. You whack him. Whack him. Whack him. If I can just get those two, I'll, I'll, I'll have them all, right? What happens? Whack, whack. Whack, whack, Right? That's your life. Don't tell me you're not broken. Let me ask you if any of these moles keep popping up uh, in your life. Uh, how about stress? Anybody ever have stress attacks? Like in the middle of the night, have you ever woken up and just there's stress coursing through your, your body? I have, and I consider myself kind of spiritual. And you wake up and there's just a stress and you're trying to, right, and you think you're going to go crazy. I've had those kind of stress attacks over, over the years in my life, right? Sleep, uh, sleep deprivation, not sleep deprivation, but you can't, you can't sleep, huh? Insomnia. Yeah, anybody have experienced insomnia before? Come on, I'm just trying to get the denial down so we can actually benefit from the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Because if you've got it all together, you don't need the Sermon on the Mount, nor really Jesus. Um, what about fears? Do you ever have fears coursing through your veins? Right, ever like fears like your children are going to end up being axe murderers you ever you ever fears that they're not going to turn out all right you didn't do a good job over overworking inordinate attractions okay anybody ever oh i wish my husband was like that 
comparison, the sin of comparison, or guys looking at another woman and thinking she's beautiful, and inordinate attractions, worry, addictions, uh, anger. Anybody ever have anger issues? Everybody ever like screamed at your okay? Uh, dishonesty, uh, painful memories. That oh, those don't affect me anymore, really. Okay, guess we don't need sozo anymore. Um, perfectionism. Uh, yeah, I'm amazed. I'm, I'm impressed that you guys could just admit that. That's what. See, that's wonderful. That's the healing feeling. That's the beginning of healing and restoration. Is the admission of that perfectionism is a lie. It's it's pride is what it is, and fear. It's it's all mixed up. Uh, compulsive thoughts, emptiness, loneliness. Let me say let me say this to you. If you have identified with any of those characteristics I just said to you, you are in the right church. You are in the right church. See, all the problems with your worst relationships have the same common denominator. You. Right. Think, think about it. That was incredible self-awareness from somebody so young. <laughs> Seriously? That's my newest favorite church member right there. It, see, see the, the, problem, the problem is that we like to play God. We like to think that we're in control of our destiny. We like to believe that we can dictate our future. We also like to believe that we can heal ourselves. And so we live in denial, uh, and we, 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 don't, we don't want to admit that we're not all that. You remember the book years ago, I'm Okay, You're Okay? My dad tried to read that to me when I was 13 years old. I thought, you're weird. I'm okay, you're okay, right? No, you're not okay. None of us are okay. But that's okay because, because God's okay with us not being okay because he's in the process of making us okay through his son and through his power and his spirit. Right? Okay. Sometimes you've got to steward your gift well. So, so Jesus comes into, he plows right into broken humanity. These are all physical ailments here, but if you don't extrapolate that out into our emotional brokenness, our imperfections, our stressed relationships, our poor stewardship, our sinfulness. I mean, he, J- Jesus is about to plow into the worst of our reality. The real condition of the human race. You go into the Sermon on the Mount. I'm setting this up, so just follow me. I'm setting this up for being able to teach on it. We've got to get ourselves into the right posture and position and understanding of why he's even teaching it. We've got to know who we are, who he is, and what he's offering. He's about to teach on raging anger, contempt, hatred, obsessive lust, divorce, verbal manipulation, which is when he said, you know, 
don't swear by God. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Revenge, slapping, suing, cursing, coercing, and begging. It's the stuff of soap operas. It's on the daily news. It's real life. And he introduces the solution. And this is the point I want to make in opening chapter 5, which what I want to encourage you to do is just ignore the number 5 there for chapter 5. It's not like he's... he's It's not like he was out healing a bunch of people, restoring brokenness. Then he decides to sit down and teach a sermon that's completely unrelated to what he just did. That's why here at the Gathering Place Church, our church culture is we do the stuff, and then we teach the stuff, and then we do the stuff some more. Like we had healing lines up here. Well, first we start with worship and the presence of God. The presence of God comes. Then... We demonstrate the kingdom by bringing healing to brokenness through the prayer teams. Then we teach on the kingdom and how this is who we are and this is what it's supposed to be like. Then at the end of the service, we do some more praying to heal some more brokenness and empower and restore. That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not in word but in power. That's what the Bible says, right? So Jesus is not just teaching Good things to do and good ways to live by. Therefore, do the best you can until I come again. That's horrible. We already have a long enough to-do list that stresses us out and never gets completed. Have you ever noticed how when you think you're going to get this next problem solved, then ah, finally it's smooth sailing? I remember thinking that as a pastor. Once we get this relationship reconciled, and then once we get that problem solved, and then once we get enough in the budget to be able to pay for that, once these little fires are out, and oh man, it's just going to be perfect church after that point. And it never, ever, ever, as ever going to happen. That's when you got to realize life is broken. The Bible says the whole earth is groaning under the fallen state of man. I mean, I was just talking last night, but, you know, my kids were talking about, uh, um, well, they were making fun of my body and how it's kind of like gravitating downward. And I said, well, your skin's all tight right now. And your muscles are all toned right now. But I said, yeah, gravity is going to suck you down too. Everything's just going to start going that direction. We live in a fallen world. We don't have perfect bodies. We don't have perfect relationships. We don't have perfect anything. So Jesus, the Savior, smacks into broken humanity, begins to bring healing and restoration. Forget about the number five. And it says, now when he saw the crowds. You see how that's connected to chapter four? See, the crowds start following him now. Everybody say now. This isn't sometime in the future. Now. He's bringing real kingdom demonstration that's really touching, really broken people. And then he says, and then it says, now in that moment of healing these broken people, he saw the crowds. He went up on a mountainside, sat down, disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Do you see the context? Oh, if you don't say yes right now, I'm going to start all over. Do you see the context? Okay. I could have assumed it. Okay. Then he launches into blessed are the poor in spirit. That word blessed means the highest, the highest degree, the highest type 
of well-being possible for human beings. The word blessed means, I have it on the PowerPoint. I only gave you two slides. I know you can do it. We already used one. Use the second one. The highest. (laughs) Hey, they're broken, but it's okay. (laughs) Blessed, happy is what that means. Blessed is the highest form of well-being possible for human beings. Jesus comes on the scene and says, blessed are the poor in spirit, period. Is that what he said? This is another one of those teachings that drives me a little batty. I heard a very respected teacher this week that I highly regard teach this. And I was taking a walk going, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I believe that teaching has come out of our traditions and the way it's been taught for decades and decades. When I hear people teach on poverty of spirit and that as though, and here's the big point. As though that is a condition to be commended to where you have people taking poverty vows because somehow being poor in spirit is a spiritual virtue that is to be admired. I have a question for you. If you are spirit-filled... And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lives in you. How can you be poor in spirit? It's not metaphorical. Otherwise, if that's metaphorical, poor in spirit is just an attitude. That's why I also hate the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, calling attitudes. It has nothing to do with attitudes. It has to be. It has to do with complete transformation. You were this. You just got touched by the kingdom of God. Now you're that. That's the Beatitudes. I told you you're going to have to think. You were poor in spirit. These people that I just slammed into that were just paralyzed, diseased, sick, right? You saw the description. It was a pretty gnarly description we read there. They brought all these broken people to them. He touches them with the kingdom of God. Then he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Because when they get touched by the kingdom of God, theirs is the kingdom of God. It's a complete different message altogether than what we have been taught and believe. So we gravitate toward being poor in spirit. And we try to think, we, we, we interpret that as that means be humble. That is not what he was talking about. If you put it into the context of the mass of humanity he just touched, he's not saying be humble. He's saying when you're poor in spirit, when Jesus touches you, when I touch you, when you come to me, you're going to experience being born again. All things are, those things are old, all things are new. So you go down this list of poor in spirit. And that can't be metaphorical because mourning is not metaphorical. The next thing he says, those who mourn. So is mourning a condition to be, to be admired and attained to? Yeah, but when we believe that, we then, we then get weird with it. Like I serve about 70 churches down in 
uh, Mexico in an apostolic fashion. So when I go there and I teach, uh, they were they were they were baptized and so much such such a religious spirit. It took about ten years. And again, I'm not saying this to say that I'm all that in a bag of chips. The gospel is good news. That's what I'm saying. And when you know good news, you know bad news when you see it. And when I went down to these churches, they had been so so uh, embalmed with religious teaching that nobody was happy. And and they would get up before the convention. They take buses. They drive buses for two or three days, and then they sleep on the concrete floors in the churches, and all their kids and their wives and. And the guys, and they're all just, the accommodations are horrible. I felt so guilty going to a motel room that, that was like lower than Motel 6, but it was like the Ritz compared to what they're, they're doing. And they're exhausted, but they get up like at 5 a.m. And I hear them just howling and crying out to God. I said, Mario, why don't you redo the schedule so they can get some sleep? I said, it doesn't impress God. You're not impressing him. By, by getting up early when you've traveled all night and you're completely exhausted as though he'll answer your prayers better and more because he'll be so impressed with your show of religious zeal if you're going to pray at 5 a.m. than if we got together at 7 a.m. So after a number of years of coming together, I taught them on the I taught them on the Father heart of God. You are sons and daughters of God. You are heirs to the kingdom of God. And trying to raise the level of dignity. And so I taught this and I thought they got it because they're going like this. And, and then we sit in a circle and I'm about to do some teaching to all the pastors and their wives. And I uh, said, so let's, let's open in prayer. So he says, let's pray. A moment ago, they were all just sitting here smiling and we're kind of talking and all that. And it's normal. Then they said, let's pray. And immediately all of them started going, oh, And finally, I had had it. And, and I felt like I've, I've come down here enough years and served to show that I'm for you, I'm with you, I've paid my dues to be able to say, stop it. And they went like this. I said, stop, stop. And so then I taught them about their worth and their dignity. What were they doing? And that has completely changed, by the way. The doilies have come off. The girls are allowed to wear pants. They're preaching the good news of the kingdom. They like sinners. What were they doing? You tell me after what I've shared the last few moments. What were they doing? Huh? Yeah. Either one of those would would fit. Mourning. Self-imposed mourning because it is a condition to be admired and, and it will manipulate God to give us stuff or poverty of spirit. How would you feel as a parent if your kids behave that way with you? Jesus is saying those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, and you go down the list and a couple of them look a little bit interesting. How do you interpret that as a negative condition? And I'll teach that in the next couple of weeks. But you've got to take the left-hand side, the condition, not a position for promotion. That's not what these are. Other than if you're in this broken condition, 
you now are set up for the availability of the kingdom of the heavens. And when the kingdom of the heavens comes upon your condition, it will transform you from that to this. And then he goes into the Sermon on the Mount. Woo! That's why if you back up, this will be the last thing I say on this point, because this was clearly just an introduction. If you back up to Matthew chapter 4, because remember I told you you can't just pluck the Sermon on the Mount out. You can't pluck the Beatitudes out of the Sermon on the Mount or we're going to be in trouble because we're going to run into more religion if we do that. We've got to back it up. You've got to back that bus up all the way to the station where it departs from, which is Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. This is when Jesus, Jesus' first sermon, he's just starting to preach. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near or at hand. He's coming to a lost human race that is being led by religionists that are putting greater burdens on people who are already broken, already suffering, already lost, already confused, already living for all the wrong things. The woman at the well, wrong faces in the wrong places, five husbands, that kind of a thing. He runs into these people and he is saying, turn around. There's a new kingdom available to you now. He demonstrates it and then he teaches what the new kingdom looks like to the person who's been touched by it. Lord, we pray that as we continue to look at this, that you open our eyes and our hearts to the good news for all of us. There's not a person here that's, that's perfect. And we need your good news every day of our lives. We ask that you lift the burden of religious performance off of us. And like Heather was prophesying earlier, getting our eyes on you, Jesus. That's what you're, that's what you're saying in the sermon. Get your eyes on me. And I will help you live far beyond the religious laws of the scribes and Pharisees. Lord, we pray for an infusion of grace in this house. The decreasing of performance to impress you and that we could live as free people in Christ Jesus. Um, there's one last thing I want to say, and this will be to those who have not yet given their, Christ, their life to Christ yet. I want you to look, and this is uh, part of the message, but this I'm going to apply it directly to those of you who have not asked Jesus to be your Lord yet. 1 Corinthians 6.10. Um, 1 Corinthians 6.10 in the NIV. I want you to look at something here. This will also, um, and I only have about two or three minutes to do this and say this, but... Um, this passage happened to be a passage that I was already had in my sermon before the Supreme Court. 
passed their ruling this week to legalize same-sex marriage uh, throughout our entire country, which is, uh, depending on how you look at that or where you're coming from, it's pretty devastating to our, our, our culture and our nation. It's socially acceptable, but um, it's certainly not God's will or desire for the human race. As you've heard me teach, that um, God, God created us in his image and he made Adam and then he made Eve out of Adam. And those two together reflect the image of God. So really what this is about behind the scenes is trying to distort the image of God, the glory of God, strip God of his glory, which is the enemy's um, agenda. So then you have individuals who are broken like the rest of us. And so they are involved in what the Bible calls sin. The, the, the worst thing, I'm going to say this to you as your pastor, the worst thing we can do is throw stones at them. Because as you're throwing a stone at them, there should be a, a rock pile coming back at you. Because self-righteousness is worse than homosexuality. Judgment, as Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, is worse than any other sin. Because you and I are not God. And we are called to bring the good news. So what I want to say is, um, what, what do we do with uh, homosexuality uh, and same-sex marriage now being legalized in our country? What do we do? We continue on with our assignment, and we bring the good news. That's our assignment, the good news. Good news. God loves you. Jesus loves you. Uh, one one former homosexual was teaching at a local church here, and he said, um, don't talk to a homosexual about homosexuality. Talk to them about the love of God. It doesn't. It, it, we're afraid because we think it means that we're given permission or we're agreeing with their lifestyle. That's what the Pharisees thought about Jesus, which is why they were so angry at him for going to Matthew's house and being at a party with a bunch of sinners. Because it looked like he was endorsing their lifestyle. He wasn't. But he knew that if he didn't hang out with them and didn't love them, they would never have a chance on experiencing the kingdom and thus being changed. So what happens if we're persecuted? Same assignment. Just give the good news. I told my children, I, I, will, end up, I, will, I will go to jail or I will go to prison. If necessary, if that's what we that's if that's what it comes to, like in other countries, it's not that it can't visit here. I I will do that. I, I can't compromise. It's not my message. It's his, and I'm following him. But wherever I go, I will have the same message, which is the good news. And so, in First Corinthians, here, what I was going to say to those who have not yet come to Christ, look what Paul says: Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral. Okay, that would be. Those here who watch pornography, uh, those here who have lusted after other women, those here who have had emotional affairs with other men because um, your husband's not, you don't feel meeting your needs. The sexually immoral, pornea, nor idolaters, those who would rather go uh, um, have sports rather than go to church, those who would rather work than give to the kingdom of God. Don't tithe because uh, money is uh, what you trust, not God. Okay, I'm t- trying to show you how you're included in this list of sins. Adulterers, men who have sex with men, right there it is, homosexuality. 
is what other translations say. Nor thieves, if you ever stole anything, um, cheated on your taxes. Nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, uh, gossipers. Oops, that's all of us. Nor swindlers, uh, manipulators. None of these people will inherit the kingdom of God. So that's pretty blunt right there, right? You won't inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, you ready for this? And that is what you were. Right, right there is text showing that you can, homosexuals can change. He just said that. That's what you were. How is that possible? The power of the kingdom of God. That's the good news of the kingdom. I don't care how broken, how twisted, how far you have gone. I just demonstrated to you, Jesus. I just demonstrated to you the kingdom can reach anybody. You are washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So I want to say to you here today, if you've never given your life to Jesus, it is impossible for you to get to heaven. It's a complete impossibility. The epitome of spiritual poverty is not having the capability to pay for your own sins. The Bible says... That the penalty for sin is not lighting candles, it's not going to church, it's not saying a handful of Hail Marys, it's not tithing, it's not witnessing, it's not doing good, it's not feeding the poor, it's not prayer. The penalty for sin is death. Eternal separation from God. Which is why Jesus died for you. So the kingdom is a free gift, and Jesus is the door. So if you have never given your life to Jesus before, first what I'd like to do, I'd like to ask everybody just to close your eyes, and I want you to think about how this message has applied to you personally. Maybe you've been in denial, and you will not admit your brokenness. You've got to get there first. You've got to admit that you need help, because then the whole Sermon on the Mount becomes yours, and the kingdom becomes yours. And if you're here today and you have never come through the door of Jesus, not through religion, but through Jesus, and right now you would like to ask Jesus to forgive you for your sins and to be ushered into the kingdom of God, have the free gift of salvation, your sins forgiven, and for your eternity to be in heaven. If that's you, if you just raise your hand right where you are, Jesus is going to see it, and he is going to forgive you of your sins immediately. And you're going to experience his peace come upon you. And he's going to breathe his spirit into you. And you're going to know what I'm talking about. Will you raise your hand if that's you? I want to ask Jesus Christ into my life this morning. I need forgiveness of my sins. Anybody at all? Okay, I see your hand. Anybody else want to raise their hand this morning and say, I need Jesus into my life? Okay. Uh, Now, for the person that raised their hand, thank God. Can we celebrate? Can we celebrate that church? And, uh, and, I, and I want you to pray this prayer out loud with me. Let's just all pray this together. Say, Dear Jesus, I understand I cannot make it to heaven on my own, that I need a Savior. So I'm receiving you right now 
as my Savior. Please forgive me for my sins. And I turn my life over to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I want to say to that one who raised her hand, um, the most exciting thing that happened today is you. And right now you're experiencing the kingdom. And if I were to ask you personally, I, I, um, I don't want to be too assumptive, but after leading people to Christ for over 30 years, I know what you're feeling right now, and it's peace. It's relief. And that's Jesus. He is the Prince of Peace. And he has just placed his spirit of peace into your soul, and you're experiencing peace. That's the trademark of a believer. And that will usher us into the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Well, Lord, we thank you for this house of um, the house filled with your presence. We love gathering together and being in your presence. Thank you for the richness of your word. I pray, Lord, as the primary teacher in this house, but not the teacher, that you would um, explain these things to us throughout the week until we come back next week and look at your greatest sermon ever more. I pray you open our understanding a lot of traditional thinking that has really done nothing more than put us into bondage, do more, try harder. We, we, we ask you, Jesus, dismantle that from us this week. Show us that you are bringing a message that truly is good news and that the Sermon on the Mount is not some unattainable pie-in-the-sky sermon, but you really were ushering us into a way of life that is full of peace and power and goodness and health. We love you, Jesus. We love you. We love you in this house, in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. God bless you. Prayer teams, why don't you come on back down. And uh, anybody that needs further prayer, you come down. I would love to meet with the person that raised their hand. If you would, would mind coming down front here, I have a book, book for you. Um, by the way, church, let me say this. This little book right here, um, I wrote this, A New Beginning for New Believers, The Next Steps. Whenever you lead somebody to Christ... This book's right down here. You can grab one. It's a six quick chapters. You can walk them through what it means to be a new believer and what to do next. So, all right, man. God bless you, family.